Uh, wait, something's not right. Has anyone seen the copy of Lupin Shanshe? If we don't have every single entry in chronological order here, they're going to think we're fucking frauds. Hmm. Well, I haven't seen it around, but I do think Chris was the last one to have it. Hey, Chris! Yes, dear. What in the ass just happened? I don't quite know how to explain it, but the uh, eggnog sort of blew up. How? Well, you know, it exploded. <sighs> Come on, Emma, you know how much I love the Eggion? God damn it. I turn my back for one second and Chris blows up the eggnog. What the hell did you do? I'm Nog at liberty to say. Oh, for fuck's sake. Thankfully, none of it got on the Pi Cal cookies. They'll just be a few minutes in the oven. Holy shit, the Pi Cal cookies are on fire. Yeah, it's kind of fitting if you think about it. He really would have wanted it this way. Ah, shit. Oh, it's all right. I'll just make another batch. It's not that. It's just... I wanted this year's holiday special to be perfect, but I've rushed it. The Lupin home video collection is incomplete. Look, dude, it's just one copy, all right? It'll be okay. It's just, it's the principle of it, but it's not just that. The eggnog blew up, the pie cow cookies are on fire, and Emma's got the tree upside down. What? What? Ah, fuck. Uh, let's just face it. I rushed everything, and I fucked it all up. And now the guests are on their way and nothing's ready. I just... Drew, Drew, I know everything's not exactly perfect, but we're all here together for the holidays. Isn't that what it's all about? You know, it's the time for... Oh, hey. Y'all hear that? Could it be? Holy shit. It's the Lupin Carolers. And quite a style All of his own And they all know him As Lupin Lupin the Third You know, even though their numbers dwindle with every passing year, they still sing their little hearts out. Bless them. It's beautiful. Maybe it doesn't matter that the special is perfect. It just matters that we're all here together, with our closest friends, sharing what we love together. See? God bless us, everyone. Alright, everyone. Let's make this the best holiday special we've ever had. Besides, it couldn't get any worse. Um... I can feel the holiday spirit bursting through the air. Homie, I don't think that was... It's almost like there's music in the air. Uh, bruh, that's not a Christmas carol. Look! Out of the horizon! The festive colors! The soil is cherry red! And there's... Green crosses in the sky! It leans a little heavy on the religious angle of the holidays for my taste, but hey! Yeah. Hey guys, did the Lupin Carolers spill some Fanta, or...? Wait. Wait, no, hold on. I can't go like this. I didn't buy enough Blu-ray! It wasn't enough of a hater! Oh come on, orange is not my color. Shit, did I leave the oven on?
Welcome to uh, Cyber Tigris, a Lupin the Third Impact anime podcast. A podcast about a monkey-faced thief, his friends, and eight tiny reindeer. We are discussing all of the animated and live-action entries of the Lupin the Third franchise in mostly chronological order. Well, it's that time of year again, folks. That time where we all gather together with friends, family, and the ones we can't really stand, but we won't say that to their face, to celebrate the real reason for the season. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and his vampiric twin sister, Camilla, of course. That's right, everyone. It's time for the third annual Sideburns and Cigarettes Holiday Special. I'm your host, Drew, joined by Chris. Yo, yo, um, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Emma. Hi. And Natalie. Uh, bon Natal and Feliz Navidad. <laughs> Every year we watch one holiday-themed episode of Lupin the Third. And we're totally not running out of them and planning on resorting to any episode remotely involving snow, winter, or Jesus. This year, we picked a real doozy, and we've invited some very special guests to inflict this episode- I mean, to discuss this episode with. Joining us today for our third holiday special are three hosts from the Third Impact Anime Podcast, Austin, Bill, and Sully. Thanks, you guys, for joining us. It's a honor to have you here. Judging by the content of this episode, I thought you were asking us to join you for the Halloween special and we're just incredibly late about it. So I'm deeply confused, but I love I love the flimsy na- the flimsiness of how you've connected this to Christmas and it, it really it really does uh, bring the light of the season to me personally. Hi, I'm Austin. <laughs> Hello. Uh, I brought my uh, sack of presents. You might get a nice surprise of the Fuma Conspiracy on Blu-ray or a sack of coal that is the second live-action Lupin the Third movie. Oh. So we'll see what you get in, in, the, uh, in the Christmas gift basket. <laughs> it's a terrifying um, I'll, prospect. I'll, I'll take the coal, please. At least I can barbecue with it. <laughs> and I'm here to remind you that I do, in fact, consider this both a Halloween and a Christmas episode, but I'm also the sort of sick person who considers Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny to be annual holiday viewing and eagerly anticipates watching every year as Santa teams up with little Lupita to fight Satan himself for the souls of children at Christmas. Hell yeah. But does he get to go to Santa's summer home? No, he does not go to Santa's summer home, but he does have one of Santa's many offices that, like, exists above the North Pole and outer space. <laughs> you know, I, I am somewhat inspired by this episode, in fact, to reconsider, you know, the the uh, the pantheon of anime Christmas films, which there are not many, you know, of course, we know Tokyo Godfathers, but I've just remembered that Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0 features joy to the world in the soundtrack, so that might have to be the third impact anime Christmas special for next year. Hell yeah. Do it. Dude, spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers, it's been out for forever, dude. (laughs) I think one of the things I enjoy about anime is because Christmas is such a... It is kind of a recent introduction into Japanese culture, and because it is... uh, Unlike here, where it is uh, kind of... We kind of argue over the the true meaning of Christmas in Japan. It's a totally secular holiday, and I kind of enjoy seeing how they interpret our ideas of because it's, it's this weird melange of like both like up the american version of christmas but also like european traditions like it, there's a lot of like weird norwegian stuff i see in a lot of like 
anime like they they always have like the christmas like the yule log like the little dessert that's like the swiss roll you you slice up and i I feel like that's a very like scandinavian thing but it always kind of shows up it whenever it's uh christmas in japan and i Ooh. i i like that i like how kind of uh off kilter some uh anime treats christmas where you can have things like you know lum learns about santa or you know lupon meets jesus's vampire sister like there's something about that that i i personally prefer like a weird christmas but again i i've been i forced my boyfriend to watch a karate christmas miracle and uh he has determined that my taste in christmas movies either is for people who really like uh gonzo bonkers interpretations of how the holiday should be celebrated or people who've been accused of war crimes and have to be punished you know uh, uh, without a hint of joking a karate christmas sounds like a lupon episode title it really does it does (laughs) um look i'm i'm the i'm the idiot that vouches every year that die hard is a christmas film i even have an advent calendar of Hans Gruber falling down the Nakatomi Plaza um, (laughs) because I'm that much of an idiot. But also um, I like how you explain about uh, Christmas being a secular holiday in Japan and that they're they're more or less in some animes who do do Christmas episodes. They do, of course, if it's not the the Scandinavian traditions, it's whatever we do in America. I'm literally waiting for a day when an anime does um, a Japanese Christmas. And I don't know, maybe two characters are trying to look for the best fried chicken in the area. Um, (laughs) I I, kind of want Lupin to do that. Maybe Goemon makes the gang look for the best fried chicken in all of Japan, and they just end up at KFC in Tokyo. (laughs) Bill and Austin and I all went to college together, and we were all part of our university's Japanese club. And I remember that we we got KFC before Christmas break for the club. (laughs) Uh, I believe we did that once or twice. So it's kind of funny that... Mm -hmm you know, this thing that's considered like a quirk of Japanese culture can weirdly become like a tradition for anime fans. Mm-hmm. Like I, mm-hmm. I've heard many anime fans like, yeah, I got KFC because, you know, it's it's cute that they do it in Japan. And we've kind of taken that on as a, a thing that we do here as well now. Cultural exchange makes for some magic. It, 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 I mean, it does. So when you say cultural exchange, does that mean that eventually they're going to do their own version of a Hallmark movie based around the JR train? And the awesome JR train song, and a couple meets via the JR train because I would watch that movie in hearts. I feel like that probably exists already. And as I understand it, Christmas is mostly seen as like it is for very small children or for couples in Japan. It seems like a romantic holiday. So there are tons of like J romance movies that that Christmas is like a either like a major scene or like is the the kind of the background noise to everything else. So, I mean, I'm sure that exists. I find mm-hmm. if, I, I don't know how true this is. I remember reading this probably over a decade ago that the belief in Santa in Japan is that uh, uh, once children stop believing in Santa, once the jig is up for them, that they stop getting presents. And there's something there's something so casually like cruel about that that I mm. love. It's like, well, you, you figured it out. So, yeah, you, you're not getting a Nintendo Switch this year. In fact, you get nothing. <laughs> You, you lose. Good day, sir. Good day, sir. <laughs> oh. oh, that hurts, but I love it. All right, so before we get started, um, I want to give a special thanks to Austin and Bill for inviting me and Emma on uh, Third Impact Anime last year to discuss uh, Goodbye Partner 
and I apologize for returning the favor <laughs> with uh, with this episode <laughs> of all things. Oh, please. Sorry, sorry you have to deal with us again. <laughs> no, no apology necessary. We're happy to be here. This this episode uh, was actually a lot of fun. I enjoyed it quite a bit. So yeah, you, you put up with us. So yeah. now 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 we're returning the favor. So. I don't I don't know. To this day, I still reference uh, when I brought up Joe Dirt, and I could actually hear Austin's thoughts stop. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> like it's like a it's like the castle of Cagliostro's uh, gears just stopped, <laughs> locked into place. <laughs> I mean, Drew Drew apologized earlier, but I think he, that's just because now we now myself and Chris have joined in the chat, so it's very much a thing of like, oh no, the extra chaotic ones are here today. <laughs> and I am too. I'm happy to have everyone here. This is actually the biggest gathering of people I believe we've had for one episode so far, which is very exciting. Pretty sure this is. Mm, I'm thinking because. Um, no, maybe you're right because when we did the when we did the finale of part six, there was me. It was just it was just Lauren and Chris. Us and just Lauren and Chris. So yeah, it was only six people. Now it's seven. Uh, and then one more. <laughs> yeah, the more the merrier. Hey, <laughs> that did not work at all. No. Um, <laughs> but no, it is very also. Well, I don't know if it's fitting or not that there are. Uh, it's our third holiday special, and we have three hosts from the Third Impact Anime Podcast. We've got an Look at angelic that. number going on here, fitting for the holiday season. And we're talking about Lupin the Third. Hey, yeah, like the best, the best anime ever. I, I say that because I don't watch a lot of anime. So, <laughs> and uh, before we jump into everything, um, uh, our usual question for guests who join us is: How did you discover Lupin the Third? Um, I will, um, but uh, I guess I'll, I'll just give like a little bit of context for you know who exactly you've invited onto the show. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm I'm Austin. Again, I'm the host and producer of the Third Impact Anime Podcast, a podcast that is about anime generally, even though our title is an Evangelion reference. We have talked about Ava, but we talk about uh, anime from all eras, you know, all years, et cetera, et cetera. We do uh, special guest interviews. We have other cool creators in the podcasting space and in the anime space broadly onto our show from time to time to talk about cool things that they do or to have them sort of co-review stuff with us like we did with drew and emma last year for goodbye partner um but one thing that we we have done across the years is reviewed a number of lupon specials because lupon is something that we also really enjoy which ties into you know sort of um question you asked you know how did i myself get into lupon the third it's all because of bill it's all completely because of Bill. I give him full and complete credit. I'd probably known about Lupin the Third in sort of a Wikipedia-esque capacity before I met Bill, but meeting him in college uh, really uh, pushed me over the edge to get into this franchise that I, to be honest, didn't really have that much of a uh, interest in. I was thinking, well, I've seen Cowboy Bebop, and that seems like Lupin, but just way better. And while that still might be true... Um, I did not know sort of, uh, you know, how much fun and uh, vibrancy and uh, insanity that Lupin the Third could bring to me and all of the joy that comes along with that. Um, so Bill, knowing that I was into Bebop, he was like, you know what? You should watch The Woman Called Fuchiko Mine. And so he showed it to me and I was like, this rules. And so shortly Mm. after that, he showed me the opposite spectrum of the Lupin franchise in Castle of Cagliostro. So I got a good balance, a good taste for the wide spectrum of Lupin. And I've sort of been 
a Lupin journeyman ever since then. I've watched a, a decent handful of specials, a couple of the TV shows, but I'm I'm by no means super, you know, all encompassing in my Lupin fandom. But it's definitely a franchise that I have a lot of affection for. Nice, nice. Bill, how about you? Um, so I got into Lupin through a lot of accidents where I think I saw the trailer for uh, Fujiko Mine and thought, this looks super cool. I'm going to watch this. This is amazing. Where can I get more of this? And then I was at my, our kind of our big convention in North Carolina where Discotech was just starting up. And they were just putting out their early releases. So it was Fuma Conspiracy and Green vs. Red and Episode Zero. And they were showing in one of the viewing rooms Episode Zero. And it was with a huge group of people. And it was just a blast uh, watching it with these people. Like Everyone was laughing at the jokes. Everyone was just having a fun time with the story. And so I picked up those early discotheque releases and haven't stopped ever since. <laughs> so... And uh, I am, uh, I would say I've, I've watched a good number of the TV, TV series. I've watched a lot of the early specials, but I am no expert to compare to you wonderful people here on this podcast. Uh, I could, I'd probably lose a game of Lupin Jeopardy to you guys, (laughs) but uh, no, I am, uh, I'm a huge Lupin nerd and always enjoy checking out the specials. So. Oh yeah. And uh, Sully, how about you? Uh, I would say that I'm pretty similar to Austin in the uh, I am kind of a Lupin journeyman and that I owe a lot of my interest in it to Bill and going to college with him. I think Bill and I have a, a similar shared like love for sort of like classic locked door mysteries. Like we we both talked about we we love like Poirot and and uh, Agatha Christie novels and that sort of like old school uh, way of handling. Uh, mysteries and I, I also have always loved like Catwoman is one of my favorite characters in comics mm. so I think I, I I was kind of primed to enjoy Lupin because I love things like art heists and, and scam artists and uh, Lupin is basically you either get like a really tight like old school uh, locked door mystery or art heist or uh, someone is running a confidence game and it's this sort of like at the end of the episode or the end of the story you're like oh that's how it was pulled off that's actually very very clever or it's uh, absolute lunacy and I kind of like that flexibility I think if I've watched anything I've watched the most Lupin in, in the pink jacket series in part three, because it was, to- I was told it was the campiest and I was like, well, that- I'll go with that then because that's my, my sort of bread and butter. But uh, I, I've watched a lot of the specials and I've watched various episodes from uh, the seventies and eighties series and kind of uh, done other stuff. I've seen Fujiko Mine and I started watching part six recently because I, I, I bought a high dive subscription and I, I need to do more Lupin because like I said, it is that kind of, I love like, I love criminals who they do it for the love of the sport. And mm-hmm. that's basically the whole point of Lupin. I actually recently bought uh, an English translation of the second set of uh, Arsene Lupin stories, the, the, where he fights Ooh. legally distinct Sherlock Holmes. And I've been <laughs> making my way through that. And uh yeah, so I I owed all the bill and our shared love of like old school detective and stuff like that. 
I'm surprised yeah. you didn't mention uh, Mystery of Mamo because I know that's one of your favorites. Yeah, where Lupin fights uh, legally distinct Paul Williams. I <laughs> bought the Blu-ray for that uh, at the last animes when we went to, and I showed it to my boyfriend because he said, "Like you really like Lupin, but how do you get into it?" And I said, "Most people are going to tell you start with Castle of Cagliostro, but that's to me like I I respect that movie for what it is, but like I don't go to it as what I like in Lupin. It's a little too." It's a little too twee for me. And I'm like, no, if I am going to start you with anything, we're watching Mystery of Mamo because it's like, it's yeah. weird. It's noir It's psychedelic. It's like, a, it's it's got all the criminal hijinks. Like, they don't soften Lupin's edges too much. So mm-hmm. that's what I started him off with. It's got and pop I think rocks. It's got Napoleon. pop rocks. Napoleon. It's got Napoleon. It's got the now famously deceased Henry Kissinger. (laughs) (laughs) And the longtime famously deceased Adolf Hitler. Oh, God. No, my boyfriend's face when when Lupin is walking through that little, that sort of like arcade uh, outdoor area in uh, Mamo's castle. And he just like goes, oh, oh, uh, Hitler. And he's like, what? And I'm like, oh, just, just it makes sense. Just go with it. And he's like, no, it, it's like Fuji goes kidnapped and all of a sudden Hitler is here. I'm like, it makes sense, honey. Just watch. It's called Lupin logic. It's yeah. art. Um, try. Um, I have a Jewish roommate. I live with my best friend and her husband who is Jewish. And for my birthday in 2020, we watched uh, Lupin the first and my friends know Lupin. They're more big anime nerds than I am. So um, I didn't. I forgot to warn my Jewish roommate, hey, there's references to Hitler in this. And then when it's the scene, spoiler alert, where Lupin is disguised as Hitler, my you could just see my Jewish roommate just like, like pause, froze, just like, and I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot to mention that. <laughs> if you ever decide to talk about the pursuit of Haramal's treasure, I want to be on because I'm... Uh, <laughs> I bought that Blu-ray specifically because it made me angry. Uh, not, not the, not the, not the gay Nazi. I was like, you know what? There's a long and very tragic history of like the idea of the homosexual Nazi in Pulp Fiction from things like Cabaret and The Damned, and there's a lot that can be discussed about that. No, it was Justice Justin Savakis being so offended that not only was there no no he's 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 feminine. And it's like, girl, he's a whole Nazi, and you're mad that he's wearing lips. We we need to pick our battles here, and we need to not write whole essays about how you're very upset that like there are feminine gay characters in in media. Like we can talk about how that's a, a stereotype that's very limiting, but um, I think the fact that this is a Nazi um, takes some some precedence. I I'm I don't know. I'm just I'm just a humble anime nerd, but uh, <laughs> so I bought. Uh, I bought a Blu-ray because I wanted to watch it for myself and have an opinion and be mad at an essay in a booklet that no one's going to read. You're probably not the only one. I'm, I'm Please glad you take mentioned my that. hate money, Discotech. Because the one time you mentioned that in the Third Impact server, I have on a piece of paper in that desk somewhere where I said I wrote it down, I have written down, Sully is going to guest on Harry Mouse Treasure. <laughs> I need to dig it up, but I did physically write it down. So that's You should frame stone. it and send it to him. I will. <laughs> Merry, Merry Christmas. <laughs> also glad uh, you're in good company recommending Mamo as an introduction as an introduction to Lupin the Third. You're you're yes. in very good company. Look, Paul Williams is mostly. Uh, I, I'm guessing from what I've seen, he's mostly retired. Before he leaves us, 
Like that, that, that film has like what five dubs, just get him into a voice booth, have him do Mamo, bring it all full circle and release that on 4k. And then I'll be happy. And then it's like, you know what? We've, we've hum- human society has reached its pinnacle and we're done. I concur. I mean, he was, he was in Phantom of the Paradise. So why can't we get him in another acting role for Lupin? So he showed up in baby driver, but that again, baby driver was how many years ago now? It was like 2017. <laughs> like six years ago. If you're going to go by that logic, six, seven years ago then. Yeah. I had a very brief appearance in that. He's one of the uh, the few uncanceled actors in that movie. A movie that unfortunately <laughs> aged like milk. Um, and, he, and he's and he's not new to voice work because he was, I think he was the penguin mm-hmm. in the yes. Batman mm-hmm. animated series. Yes, yep. he yes. was. Um, and also he's one of the few like music producers from the 70s that hasn't had a major scandal in recent years. Cough, cough, Phil Spector, cough, cough. Mm. <laughs> ah, yes. Phil Spector's uh, A Christmas Gift to You, as my boyfriend calls it, the greatest Christmas album made by, <laughs> by the criminal. <laughs> I, I I was I wasn't thinking that until you brought it up, and I'm like, no, because to me, Phil Spector. I just remember Phil Spector of what he did to my poor man Leonard Cohen. So it's like, ah, and also that he murdered somebody. But I was literally about to be like, Natalie, he murdered somebody. I know he murdered somebody. I know that I'm from California, but also he did he did bad things to my boy. Okay. <laughs> well, speaking of lunacy and homicide and Lupin and Christmas. Um, that's a very smooth segue. Oh, that's brilliant. That was brilliant. <laughs> 10 out of 10 for me. <laughs> 10 out of 10, no notes. <laughs> we are discussing Lupin the Third, Part 2, Episode 34. Lupin who turned... Yeah, Lupin who turned into a vampire, or the English dub title, but your brother was such a nice guy. Um, the episode originally aired on May 29th, 1978. It is directed by Kiyosuke... Let me make sure I'm not butchering this. Kiyosuke Mikuria, I believe, who uh, directed episodes of Angel Heart, Kyojin no Hoshi, also known as Star of the Giants, and Gonzo Tensai Bakuban, was the chief director of Sherlock Hound, along with Hayao Miyazaki. Mikiura's other credits include other Lupin credits include assistant director on seven episodes of part one. Uh, he's also the director of part two alongside Yasumi Mikamoto directing 82 episodes out of 155 and storyboarding 20 of them. So kind of a franchise staple right here. Speaking of which written by Kiyoshi Miyata, who wrote episodes of Ashita no Joe, the second Kaibutsukun series and Umi no Triton. Uh, other Lupin credits include scripts on five episodes of part one and 14 episodes of part two. And now there's a bit of a, bit of a heavy hitter in this episode. Uh, this episode was storyboarded by Noboru Ishiguro, who did storyboards for, you know, Space Battleship Yamato, Tokimeki Tonight, and Captain Future. He's also an episode director on Yatterman, uh, Ashita Nojo, and New Moomin. Also the director of Macross, Do You Remember Love? Megazone 2-3 Part 1. Chief director of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Super Dimension Fortress Macross. And, uh, or Macross. And series director of Astro Boy 1980. 
Uh, other Lupin credits include storyboards on 12 episodes of Part 2, along with episode director on 5 episodes, and most importantly, Ishiguro storyboarded and directed one episode of Ninja Robots. And not to be forgotten, uh, at least according to his Wikipedia page, the first thing that he worked on was Golden Bad in 1967. I don't know. Oh, wow. I know Sully, <laughs> Sully knows a thing or two about Golden Bad. Oh, that's a name I haven't heard in forever. Yeah, I talk about it when I do my Batman in Japan panel. It was, uh, Ogon Bot is usually considered to be one of the, the first, like, true Japanese superheroes. He was a character that started in uh, Kamishibai Theater, uh, where, you know, you, you the guy rolls up on the bicycle and he pulls the pictures one of the time and sells you candy as he tells the story. Yeah, there was an anime in, in the 60s. I can't remember if this is before or after they had the Sunny Chiba film where he was Golden Bat, uh, which is kind of a, a, a mainstay and kind of the, the cult film circuit. Uh, I'm that, not movie bit... was, uh, that movie was 66, so this would have been after that. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it was... I, I feel like it's one of those things that it was a bigger hit in Japan, and I don't know if that's the like definitive version of that character that a lot of people in Japan would probably go to. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's definitely like a, a great starting point for your career to, to do it with that character. Well, heck yeah. It only reminds me that I forgot to get the uh, Animego release of Megazone 2-3, which was a mistake. Whoops. Oh, man. Is it is it not on sale anymore? I mean, it might be, but I haven't checked. I know those things tend to be somewhat limited. I don't mm-hmm. know. But they did release uh, they did release like a bargain version of Bubblegum Crisis. So that's always a thing that's a possibility. Heck yeah, because I think I bought I bought a standard edition of Megazone 2-3. It's like just the one oh, okay. the one disc thing. I think it's like $23 or something like that. Oh, okay. Or 29 well, Okay, cool. I'll have to check that out. I, I wanted to place an order with uh, Animego uh, after Christmas because I didn't want to be like, I can't keep, I can't keep buying things when I'm going to be getting things. Um, and I keep forgetting that I live like... Can't keep doing this, Daniel. I can't keep doing this. <laughs> Uh, I keep forgetting I live in spitting distance of them, and I literally could just probably like place an order and be like, I can just walk down the street and just like get it from you. <laughs> Straight up walk right into uh, Robert Woodhead's garage. I just, I just imagine it's just like he's doing dishes and he's looking out the window, and all of a sudden I just like slowly like move up. Got that blue ray. Some nerd with a lum T-shirt, <laughs> and then he turns on the security robots, the ninja robots. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like uh, jumping in here and saying that I want to thank uh, these fine folks at Third Impact Anime for teaching me how to pronounce things that I've been pronouncing wrong for quite some time. Because I just now learned that the name of the company is pronounced. What did you guys say it was? Anime Ego. I've, I've been pronouncing it Anime Ego, but. I think it's it's supposed to be like um, Anime and Ego combined, yeah, like yeah, Ego that, being it. like the Japanese the Japanese word for right, English. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, anime ego. Anime go. Like, so, so yeah, like I said, I've been pronouncing it wrong, you know, for twenty years now. Well, you know, if you're born and raised in North Carolina, like I am, you're just born with the innate knowledge of how to pronounce the oldest uh, anime company that is currently based in North Carolina. You know, it's just a privilege we have. And if you're born and okay, raised then. in North Carolina, it means that every time you read a Japanese name, no matter how much you've studied Japanese and how much you try to be as like sensitive to other cultures as possible, your southern accent will, in fact, make you say the most ridiculous thing possible. Go, Manasai. Uh, <laughs> I'm just picturing, like, the moment you're born, you're just shown a photo of Robert Woodhead in North Carolina. 
<laughs> See, I was also going to point out that your guys' episode on Azumanga taught me how to pronounce uh, Meganeko. So, oh, good. So yeah, I've been saying it. I've been saying Meganeko for like fifteen years. Now I feel like an idiot. Well, I'll uh, uh, I'll pass that on to Tobias. He'll uh, be happy to yeah, hear it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you. if you if you hear episodes I'm on, I, I butcher names almost every episode. So, <laughs> so you're probably you must be skipping around. So I mean, Bill's <laughs> the guy that put a D in Freerin. Like, how do you do that? <laughs> I love you, Bill. Love you too, buddy. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, by the way, I'm a. Uh, I know, uh, Austin and Bill, you were kind enough to allow me to read out the episode credits when me and Emma joined. Would anyone like to go over the voice roles in this episode? I'd be happy to, but uh, I want to make Sully do it. Oh, okay. Um, So the guest cast in this episode for Camilla, the Japanese voice actress, is Michiko Koyano. Uh, She's done a few different things. It's kind of hard to track down her various credits. Uh, she has been in Attack on Tomorrow and Ono Obake, uh, 1980 Cyborg 009. Um, and her English VA is Melody M. Spevic. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right after I said I can't always correctly pronounce Japanese names. Uh, she is sometimes credited as Sonia S. Fox. Uh, she is Derrida in Ergoprotsy and Bergeron in Digimon and Torpedo Girl in Bobo Bo 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 Bo. Um, and I will also say she sounds eerily like Wendy Malick. Like the moment that she opened her mouth mm. in this episode, I was like, Wendy mm. Malick. <laughs> That's a good point. Okay. I'm glad that I'm not the only one that I'm not just like rattling off like uh television standby actresses. And it sounded hey. like I'm a lunatic, but I, that was literally the first thing I thought. I almost wonder, I was like, did, did they get her somehow? Like did Richard Epcar like pull a favor or something? <laughs> so, so you're telling me people, people don't remember just shoot me and hot in Cleveland. And or, the fact or... that she was the last love interest for Martin on Frasier. Cause we can't, we can't forget her most iconic role, which is Pacha's wife in the emperor's new groove. Right. Of course. With Eartha Kitt, you know, bl- <laughs> Catwoman, you know, it all comes full circle. Hey, <laughs> And also, Eartha Kid, singer Santa Baby. So um, f- fitting hey. for the time, yeah. Pull the lever, crunk. <laughs> she uh, has Christmas also lever. had. Like, <laughs> Sorry. She's also had some other roles in Lupin. She has played Bujiko Mine, Sister Lavina, uh, Amazon Guards, and the nurse in this episode of uh, Part Two. Uh, Doctor Marikido, the drunk doctor. Is Hisayoshi Yoiza- uh, Yoshizawa. Uh, he is Red Impulse in Gachaman and Gachaman 2. He is Dr. Hoshi in Ostroganger and Dr. Gain in Ra- uh, Raccoon Rascal. Uh, he is also Howard Heese and Domino in Lupin the Third Part 2. Uh, but of course, he's played by Richard Epcar in English, who is uh, obviously Jigen. Uh, he uh, is the old doctor and he is uh, legally distinct tiny Elvis in this episode. Uh, <laughs> he's also known for doing voices in Ghost in the Shell. He's uh, old Joseph Josar in JoJo's. And he's also the titular Bobo 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 Bo in the anime Bobo 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 Bo. Also relevant to my interest, he is the voice actor for the Joker in the uh, uh, Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe game. And I think that was the first time I heard his voice. Hell yeah. Well, you can't. You can't get away with doing that and not also allow me to say, relevant to my interest, <laughs> he is Ansem in Kingdom Hearts. Hey. Oh, yeah, that's <gasps> And also, also the voice of Lord Raiden in uh, the Mortal Kombat series. And mm. 
And if I may chime in, because I'm a huge fan of um, Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, he was Chief Sycon in the first season of Legend of Korra, basically one step below oh. uh, uh, Suyin, no, not Suyin, Lin Beifong in the Metal Bender Policeman in Republic City. I did not know that. Uh, it, was, it, it was very apparent, like... I'm watching that with my friends like, oh, my God, that's Jigen. <laughs> uh, of course, everyone knows that Richard Epcar played the role of Tyler in John Carpenter's Memoirs of an Invisible Man for like a few <laughs> minutes. <laughs> As we all know. Of course. Of course. Not even worth mentioning. <laughs> you, know, so, you know, common knowledge. Before we discuss this episode... Um, I will give a brief synopsis from the book The 50 Animated, Year- the 50 Animated Years of Lupin III. That is, <clears throat> Japanese archaeologists discover a 2,000-year-old stone casket, but to everyone's surprise, it contains a sleeping woman holding a, go- a golden statue of the Virgin Mary. Lupin is naturally interested in the golden artifact, but unfortunately for him, the woman inside is a vampire, and allegedly the sister of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. So now we will jump into our usual roundtable discussion, giving our thoughts on this episode. Um, let's see. Sully, how did you feel about Lupin who turned into a vampire or but your brother was such a nice guy? So this was not my first time seeing this episode. Uh, I remember back when I was in grad school, it was probably October of 2020 or 2021 it was definitely in in the pandemic times i uh for the third impact discord showed some halloween episodes of anime i i have to have shown the the sub because i don't remember anything about the dub but watching this again i i watched the dub first and it kind of it felt like it slapped me in the face because i remember like watching it the first time being like oh jesus has a vampire sister that's funny and then watching this time and and watching the dub and kind of having that bit of lore already in my head, like the miniature Elvis, the, the very wacky lines that the dub has, which you can, it's not like the dub like moves too much farther from the sub, but like the jokes are kind of cranked up to 11. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just, it it felt like I, it, it just felt even more detached from reality than I remembered it. And then finding out from Austin when we were discussing doing this episode that this is based on an actual bit of like Japanese religious folklore for lack of a better term. I was like, well, that kind of makes this make some sense, but I'm left with more questions than I am answers. Um, I, I, I like this though. Like I, it, like I said, I go to Lupin either for like really well done locked door mysteries or, you know, Jesus has a vampire sister and she's in Japan and there's an Elvis for some reason and a drunk doctor and that doesn't really go anywhere, but we're just kind of throwing it in and calling it a day and it, it works. And, you know, Jesus might have been a garlic farmer after spending, you know, many years lying low in the carpentry industry. Yeah, I, I think this episode, I guess, like I said at the top, like I, I'm interested in seeing how other cultures kind of interpret things like, 
like Western religion, you know, I think you, similar to how the dub did not really, I think they say Jesus once. They just kind mm-hmm. of say like my brother. There, There is this sort of taboo against like getting too weird with, with Western religion. And that's not really a thing in Japan. So you can just sort of have this very, uh, very, wild concepts like jesus not only had a sister but she was a vampire that was raised by wolves and bats like the penguin in batman returns um (laughs) and there's a statue of the virgin mary that's the MacGuffin of this plot that really doesn't go anywhere and it's just kind of an interesting it's interesting because it raises so many stakes that will not go anywhere because now suddenly vampires are real uh, everything in the Bible that has been written about was completely wrong. Uh, it, it, uh, the majority of Christ's life now happened in Japan. Um, he has a vampire system, and and all the characters are like, "Well, yeah, I guess that's just, I guess that's what you're gonna do." Well, they don't so much. They don't so much go into that part necessarily. They, you know, they pull on the threads of the um, what did they, what do they call it? The village that actually does exist. Uh, Hebrai. Um, he, yeah, Hebrai Hebra, Hebra, Hebra yeah. Village. Hebrai yeah. Village, which is a real thing uh, related to a real, I don't know, mythology, conspiracy theory, legend, etc. about Jesus actually, you know, not being crucified and fleeing to Japan. So they, they, they pull on that, but only so far as to sort of use that as the linchpin to reveal... Like, oh, by the way, he had a sister and oh, she's a vampire. And I I knew from what you guys had said whenever you pitched this episode that it was about Jesus's vampire twin sister. And I'm just like, oh, wow, that sounds interesting. But I didn't know how low effort they were (laughs) going to be about that concept because they don't even make up a reason why she's a vampire. They just say, oh, I was born with fangs. born with fangs and she's a vampire and her her dad joseph uh who i guess is the real villain in this situation just left her to the wolves and the bats he was afraid of seeing the fangs that we have to leave this child to the wilderness and so the wilderness will take care of this child so that way we can protect jesus which makes me wonder like did he did did Joseph go to Japan to leave her all the way on the other side of the world, or was she left for dead in yeah. in Bethlehem or in the general area, yeah. and then moved to Japan later? Was that before or after <laughs> Jesus moved to Japan? I don't know. It's very hard to follow. Actually, so, that, that's explained in the plot. Like, oh, is it? Well, yeah, uh, I, I get where it could be missed. Um, and 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 for the record, I've seen this episode so many times that I'm remembering <laughs> um, how it was said. Um, basically, Joseph leaves her to die, um, and she when she steals the golden statue, she travels, and it's Jesus who's following her. And she mentions she travels to the ends of the world, and I guess the ends of the world at the time and during biblical times was Japan, and she settles there, and that's where Jesus becomes a garlic farmer. So she okay. that's where it goes essentially because no, like i was just hearing that, i'm like uh i thought it was mentioned <laughs> to be fair though that is an expedition exposition dump that throws so much wild yeah. shit at you that you try yes. to wrap your brain around every single sentence that said you're like oh wait 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 
Wait, hold it. The, the whiplash is palatable. I kind of wonder very, how much the, the Jesus in Japan story that is part of this actual town's folklore is like known in Japan. Like, is this like a an obscure fact or is this something like like an urban legend that like a Japanese audience you would have to explain the vampire thing because that's totally origin original to this Lupin episode. But this conspiracy theory slash folklore piece is like, oh, Jesus switched with his identical brother at the crucifixion. He moved to Japan, became a garlic farmer. Like if they kind of just kind of gloss over that because they would assume a Japanese audience, mm. like they know that story already. And it's the vampire yeah. part they need to focus on because that's the new element they're at. Mm-hmm. You, you have a good point. I'm sure that uh, maybe, well, maybe not a lot of people, but enough Japanese viewers would have been like okay i've heard of this you know it's kind of like how we like even if you're not like really into like conspiracy theories like we know like the idea of like oh they fake the moon landing like even yeah. if you don't believe it and you don't like follow that stuff it's like it's a part of our popular culture enough you can say yeah i i know the broad strokes of what that conspiracy theory is and if someone made like a tv show about it i could maybe like i wouldn't have to have i wouldn't have to be handheld through the whole idea right right mm-hmm. Pay no never mind that the idea of like making gold statues of like the Virgin Mary or whatever is like a way way past first century Christianity sort of thing. So that's definitely <laughs> Japan being like, well, we see Christians in the modern day do this. So clearly they did this in the first century, right? 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 <laughs> yeah, let's let's just let's just totally not mention how Christianity was essentially a cult after Christ's death and that many Christians were crucified and it was a clandestine religion and iconography really wasn't a thing until um the start of what we now know as the Orthodox religion and then the Nicene Creed and no Which came many hundreds of years many hundreds later. of years later yeah I mean, they never say if i recall correctly they don't say why there's a gold statue of mary maybe it's just maybe jesus or carmilla made it because they just really loved their mom and then after she's gone that's sweet they had like a fight it's like no i loved mom more i want her statue <laughs> no you're a vampire you can't feel love i need to look at uh, i need like um, I need mommy's love. Mo- I need a statue of mom while I become a garlic farmer. <laughs> what are we even m- talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's very much there because it's like we need something for Lupin the Steel. We can't just have him like it, it kind of reminded me of that episode of The Simpsons where they find a quote unquote angel skeleton. It's like, oh, archaeologists <laughs> find a, a a vampire in a coffin. It's like, well, why would Lupin care about that? And she had a gold statue. Yeah, I guess that works. it very much feels like they wrote the story and then they're like wait we need we need a reason for any of these characters to care about this world shattering event like unearthing the vampire sister of the lord and savior of humanity well they they covered another angle too because lupon also thinks she's she's uh pretty yeah so there's also that (laughs) (laughs) i see so austin What's your take on this uh, on this episode here? I mean, kind of in, in addition to uh, to what I've already said, like uh, generally, generally speaking, I had a lot of fun with this one. Um, I, I'm going to say something that's going to sound moronic, but uh, <laughs> I, I found myself thinking after this episode, thinking like, man, it would be really nice if there was a lot more like short form Lupin adventures for me to watch. And then I realized Oh, shoot. The only reason I'm thinking that right now is because the vast, vast, vast majority of Lupin that I've watched is films and movies. 
and not the TV show. <laughs> and then I remembered, oh, shoot, there's a lot of Lupin TV, isn't mm-hmm. there, that I just have not watched. So I was just like, hmm, maybe I should watch more Lupin TV because it's like short, sweet, little fun, nonsense adventures for the most part. Mm-hmm. So uh, if that sounds moronic, it's because it is. <laughs> um, but, th- but that being said, um, yeah, this episode was insane. It threw a million things at me and I had a really good, good fun time watching it. But yeah, I'm more curious to hear uh, what Bill has to say mm. about this episode, because I imagine you had also seen it before. Nope, I have not. <gasps> Oh, I'm gasp. excited. This is I I've I'm I'm a I guess I'm a fake Lupin fan because I have not gone through all of part 2. I've gotten through like a lot of the early episodes of part 2, but mm-hmm. not not um further into it. So I've seen maybe like the first 26 episodes a lot. <laughs> but uh just part 2 part 2's a lot. But mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun with this like everyone else is saying. I had my own quirks that I was enjoying. Like, uh, I I have a little game with Lupin that I like to call the least valuable player because <laughs> there's always a member of the Lupin gang that gets kind of left to the side because they don't really have anything for them to do because they, either they don't have enough uh, things going on in the plot or just they have time restrictions. And so... What who do you think is the least viable player for this episode? I would like to hear guesses. Fujiko. I would agree. Uh, uh, to- totes. I, I, would... I would say Zenigata. He gets stuck on a cliff. Yes. <laughs> ding ding ding. Emma, Emma, you win. <laughs> oh no, I strong disagree. He's Did stuck it? on a cliff and has to scratch his butt. How is he the least valuable player? <laughs> he's he's the least valuable player because he's not really needed when it comes to protection of the the vault where they for a brief second like that could be some random policeman or the curator of whatever museum is is needing for this Mary Gold statue. He doesn't really need to be there, and he never interacts with the vampires, which is such a shame. Mm-hmm. That would be such a fun interaction, but that nothing happens. Whereas with Fujiko, Fujiko doesn't do a lot, but she's key to their goal of recruiting more people into their vampire family, in quotation marks. So she does have some importance to the plot, even if it's kind of small whereas then you could take him out and he doesn't do anything he's nothing <laughs> if, you, if i cut his scene of him climbing the mountain or his whole bit at the end with the church where he thinks he's hearing from god which is great uh, <laughs> <laughs> then, then you'd be fine you wouldn't really miss a lot so in my eyes he is the least viable player that's fair that's fair yeah but I was also enjoying the the dub changes because you forget like, oh yeah, this aired on Adult Swim in like the early 2000s. So they had to change things in order to not make people mad. Like um, the female leader of the vampire family in the, in the Japanese language directly says that she is the sister of Jesus. Whereas in the dub, I think her line is, you no one my no one in the family is allowed to speak my brother's name mm-hmm. something akin she does to, say that yeah something akin to that or just the just the weird insert of cursed curses a uh, cursed language like the use of bitch i think like a couple times where i'm just like 
okay, I don't know why this is here, but I, I guess you were trying to be cool. <laughs> and I have, I have to mention my favorite sequence in the whole episode is at the end when they're on the cliff being surrounded by the vampires <laughs> and where Goemon with his sword forms a cross, <laughs> st- throws it down like a javelin, and then out of nowhere, a lightning strike hits the sword, burning everyone to a crisp. And then the coolest shot in the episode is her hand, the vampire leader's hand, slowly drifting away, mm-hmm. dash breaking apart. I love that shot. That's yeah. really that's really cool. It's but, a good scene, but it reeks of we got to get this episode over with. Oh, so yeah. we got to get these vampires out of here now. <laughs> I, I guess from a literary standpoint, you can't really say Deus Ex Machina. I mean, it's not it's not a god out of a machine, but it it's does, a Goemon Ex Machina. Yeah, it's a Goemon hey. Ex Machina. Um, usually, I, usually what he does. Exactly, yeah. but it, it, it does feel that. If there's any episode where it's justified having divine intervention to wrap this thing, wrap everything up, this is probably the one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it does in a way, at least from Zenigata's perspective. <laughs> <laughs> from his point of view it very much does <laughs> so uh chris what's your take on this episode our manga scholar oh you want to know about the manga do you with this story i'm dreading it because i know how it ends i, I love this i love that vampire story please tell me more chris <laughs> oh oh boy i hate this vampire story so <laughs> some some people will say this episode is based on the 19th and 20th chapter of Monkey Punch's Lupin of Their New Adventures manga. It's titled Bloodsucker, parts one and two. It's chapter 97 in the Tokyo Pop Edition because both parts were combined into one. I don't agree with this statement because it's got Lupin becoming a vampire, and that's the only similarity. Well, I mean, Jigen and Goemon are in it. There's that, but... Yeah, but yeah, the vampire aspect, it plays out so differently in the anime that I'm inclined to believe the writer came up with it independently. The premise is that Lupin, Jigen, and Goemon go to a hotel that used to be the home of Count Dracula, and it's revealed that Lupin has become a vampire himself. Jigen and Goemon try to cure their friend of his literal bloodlust and learn that the cure is to have the victim breathe in Dracula's farts. It works. (laughs) (laughs) As one does. It works. Lupin is cured. And the story ends with the revelation that Jigen and Goemon are now vampires. Is that something that's abandoned in the very next chapter? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I figured. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just a little punchline. In the uh, English version, you know, Lupin asks his friends where they're going, and they turn around, show their fangs, and say, "Oh, just out for a bite." But uns. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah like okay. I said, I've never liked that manga story. It's dumb. I don't find the stupidity to be, to be funny, but the art is nice. Like it's you know, it's like really really fun cartooning. It's like all right, great. Now we got that out of the way. I feel like I have to mention that this OP is the best one ever. Right, Emma? Mm. Not just the best uh, part two opening, but it's my favorite anime opening, period. I thought, anybody else think the first third or so of the episode, the camera felt kind of shaky? A little, yeah. Like like the image was wobbling a bit. Yeah, pro- probably I didn't notice that. Unavoidable with the master or something like that, I would assume. Which makes yeah, me wonder yeah. what it was like before it was tinkered with. I, I'm, I'm sure they tried to stabilize it a bit, so I'm just curious what it looked like before that. Yeah, I've I I noticed that a bit, and I was just probably chalking that up to um, uh, this is a 
we got to get it out, guys. We got to get it done. So mm-hmm. if there's some wobbly shots, so be it. Well, I mean, like it's a because like it seems to like stabilize about a third of the way through, and um, it's not the only part two episode I've seen that in. Ratch to you, also is kind of shaky, but I like how in the dub, Zenigata compares Camilla and the statue to catnip, and then he yells at the bat for taking his hat because it's government property. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Very good line. Yeah. <laughs> Although I do wonder, is this the first time Jigen is depicted as being like superstitious or religious? Because I know um, that, I know this is kind of a big part of his character in Mystery of Mamo. Mm-hmm. I mean, they kind of, I'm remembering, at least from the part two dub, that they had superstitious Jigen in the Tutankhamen episode. Um, oh, that's know, a good point. Yeah. I mean, right, I I mean he that. does joke that like when my feet get itchy, then I don't, right. you know, that's like, that's like a sign. But he does mention that he, both he and Goimon were not going to touch um, that treasure because of their right, superstitious right. feelings yeah, I, toward I, it. That's, that's a very good point. I, I saw it as 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 uh, as a reveal uh, revelatory of Jigen's sort of practicality because you know we have to remember that he was just faced with the uh, proof of the existence of vampires, so he's probably right. thinking, well, what's the most what what have I heard that is a good thing to you know do for vampires? Oh, crosses, right? Okay, so we got to be practical about this, you know, superstition or not. It's like, well, we got to get some crosses. Your family's Shinto, but I think this will help, you know? Yeah. Very, very pragmatic of the situation. <laughs> very. Well, I was more so referring to the uh, scene at the beginning when uh, Jigen and uh, Goldmeyer are doing the fortune telling. Uh, because uh, yeah, Jigen yeah. mentioned being oh, uneasy about this whole thing. Sticks. Yeah. Oh, okay. And, and the cards, yeah. Got you. <laughs> I like how. But, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interject your his, but. But usually, um, I mean, but Jigen has always had like his this thing with his character about like being iffy with like ghost stuff. I'm, I'm part four being one of those good indicators of like he did not oh, want yeah, to totally. spend a night in that haunted hotel. <laughs> I love that episode. But this 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 might be my memory failing me. But does the does the the sticks in the cards thing does that ever get a payoff in it, the it, episode? It's just them doing their own way of like fortune, I guess, like fortune reading, right? It's just sort, sort of like very, it's like uh, you know foreshadowing with the uh, mm-hmm. subtlety of a anvil falling on the cartoon character's head mm-hmm. yeah, because you know you know definitely you know you know vampires and Christ you know get involved so <laughs> I like the line dub where uh, after reading the stick Goemon says roughly translated it means don't be an idiot. <laughs> um, there's there's lots of great dub lines in this. Like when Lupin, after Lupin steals the statue, he says, "I like to thank the Academy and all the little people that made it possible." <laughs> um, the uh, physician that investigates Camilla, I um, I thought he was great in both versions. Uh, I've taken to calling him the drunkter. <laughs> Very good. I mean, I swear, just my notes are not just half dub lines, but. I do have a mention here. You know who's your daddy? Oh, boy. Uh, talk about unintentional foreshadowing. Also, maybe my hearing was failing me here, but did Camilla refer to Jigen as Lupin's furry friend? Yes, yes. she did. Okay, yes, yeah. um, this might sound kind of weird, but I think Camilla looks really cute with her fangs out right before she bites Lupin. I mean, how Lupin, Lupin would agree. To, Lupin with his fangs out was, is an adorable shot, too. It is. She's way too old for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> if if you've read Chris's awesome uh, web comic, uh, <laughs> you know that's not that's he he doesn't really care. <laughs> so 
So I want to briefly say I love Lupin's vampire outfit with mm-hmm. his yes. hat and cape. That, Same little bow tie. Like, let's let's get a figure out of that because that was yeah. really yes, cool. please. Arsene Lupin meets Bella Lugosi. Please <laughs> no, because I'm running out of space in my house. <laughs> I, can't, I can't take on anymore. Make space. I do have to ask though, why is Fujiko disguised as Elvis? That's a good question that not even like them writing the dub could find a good explanation <laughs> for because even they're just like, uh, Lupin didn't even leer at me or cop a feel, so <laughs> I dressed up as Elvis and started. I just I, I prefer it in the Japanese where there's just no explanation at all. It just happens. <laughs> they cut Fujiko out, and then she just explains so, like some exposition. Yeah, <laughs> I maybe because uh, Christianity is a well, I'm not even going to say it's a Western. I mean, it's. It's ostensibly a Western thing compared to Japan, at least. And so is Elvis? I don't yeah, know. El- <laughs> and, and Elvis was one of the few global megastars that could go around the world. And he yeah. did do albums that were Christian-based that's, songs. That's, that's a good point, so, yeah. And, you know, Elvis is often referred to as the king, which so is Christ. Hey. Yeah, we may be throwing a lot of theories here. Just, just like going on, we're kind of grasping at sticks here. So. <laughs> Chris, since you brought that up, I'll mention one note I had in relation to this. Go for it. The uh, in Japanese, when Fujiko jumps out around, she is singing a parody of the song "Orewa Zetai Presley" or "I Am Definitely Elvis Presley," <laughs> which is a comedy song from uh, I believe it's Yoshi Ikuzo which is specifically about a country bumpkin from Goshogawara Ayomori, which the prefecture of Ayomori is where this takes place because that's where oh. the, uh, the, the tomb of Jesus is. So I'm guessing that's the tenuous connection. Uh, in Japanese, that's got to be it. She's yeah, singing a parody be. of that song. That's got to be it. I have to shout out the the, uh, the liner notes in the DVD mentioned that, but I don't, I don't think the liner notes in the DVD mentioned that specific connection to the location. Okay. I just figured that, that I figured that out right before recording. Yeah, they they, they mention Alamori, but they don't mention the fact that like like they don't mention the connection there. So I'm guessing that's the tenuous grass because that yeah. song came yeah, out it's... a year before this episode aired. And it was so mm-hmm. big, it spawned two live action films in the 70s that were co produced wow. with the 21st and 22nd Torosan films. So I guess it was a it, it was a huge deal. Wow. That's okay. I get it now. I understand. <laughs> I love how uh, the dub has Fujiko's Elvis say, welcome to Graceland, which, <laughs> which I thought was incredibly clever. It was kind of a way to establish that, but uh, uh, please go ahead. What you were going to say. Uh, Sully, didn't you have something to add about Lupin's outfit? Uh, yeah. So this is, uh, I don't want to say a hundred percent speculation, but this is just my sort of guessing. So, uh, Lupin has a top hat on, and yes, the original Arsène Lupin is famous for his top hat, but I was wondering why they chose to trot it out for a vampire adventure, and uh, even though Bela Lugosi does wear a top hat in the original 31 Dracula, uh, the whole look of like a very skinny Dracula with a top hat is more associated with John Carradine, who played Dracula after uh, Bela Lugosi no longer worked for Universal. So my theory is I have seen plenty of Draculas, uh, specifically ones in like Mexican movies that use like legally distinct Dracula. 
and they all have like the pencil mustache and top hat because they're supposed to look like John Carradine. So I'm wondering if maybe like the John Carradine Dracula with a top hat ha- is more of like an iconic image in Japan that they that's why Lupin has the top hat on with his uh, vampire. And that's uh, basically what I was trying to say. I had that in my notes um, about the Mexican Draculas because I grew up on a lot of, um, you know, with my mom being from Mexico, I grew up on a lot of um, Mexican cinema. And I just remembered um, when I was really into my phase of vampires, like what was their idea with (laughs) some of these um, peculiar designs for, for vampires and Dracula in Mexico. And then I learned, like you said, it was because of John Carradine. It was like, um, Bela Lugosi, unfortunately, we all know his story, but once he became more obscure after he didn't have a contract with Universal and they got John Carradine, it was like, that was more of the titular Dracula for a while until I believe, um, when we got, um, the many iterations, thanks to Hammer Horror and, um, Oh my Christopher, God, I can't Lee. Christopher Lee. Yeah, Christopher Lee. Yeah. Oh God, my man. <laughs> which which John Carradine was only in two uh, Universal films as yep. Dracula. He was a bit player, and he did other. He did the famous uh, Jesse James meets Dracula film. Yeah. But it's kind of interesting that like for some countries, like his again, he, very very tall, thin man with the mustache, very sort of Mephistophelian looking, mm-hmm. and the the top hat. I, I've seen them. I there's a, a Mexican children's film where Little Red Riding Hood fights mm-hmm. the evil queen and Dracula and a witch, and uh, it's the John. It's it's someone very clearly trying to look like the John Carradine Dracula. Yeah. So I think maybe the Lupin design is kind of doing that. Maybe not specifically. Like maybe they weren't like we want him to look like John Carradine, but maybe like in the it was same in the water. Yeah, in the same way that like all of the various uh, Boyaki iterations from Time Bokan are kind of going back to Dick Dastardly. Uh, maybe in the same way, the Lupin vampire with the top hat is going back to the, the John Carradine Dracula. Yeah. Um, oh God, that cartoon you mentioned, the Capurecita y Pulgacito contra los monstruos. Yeah. Um, oh God. I remember that film. That was another one of those things I grew up watching that uh, should have, should have given a clear indication to my mom of the journey I would take in my life. <laughs> so um, in my notes here, as I was typing the, you know, the question about why is Fujiko disguised as Elvis due to muscle man with the first four letters, I actually typed Elvira. <laughs> and well, that would have made more sense. Yeah. yeah. Right? I mean, you know, screw context. I, I want to see if Fujiko dresses Elvira. I'd be down for that. Anyway. Um, I like the idea of Goemon being uncomfortable wearing the cross. I think that's a really nice touch. Mm-hmm. The gag in the dub where Fujiko says that only an idiot would be out there in a storm like this, and then it immediately cuts to Zenigata. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's mean. Perfect. That's like I think it's kind of mean, but it's hilarious. I don't care. <laughs> I think having uh, uh, Goemon because in the sub he's like garlic, and and the crosses he's like, but my family Shinto. It does, I guess, because he's the only explicitly like 100% Japanese character it's kind of interesting to have him be like this is what stops a vampire like a seasoning and is it just (laughs) because at the end it's like well his sword and that piece of wood make the cross but I you know it does bring up that question I've heard sometimes where it's like does it have to be a cross that is specifically meant to represent the crucifixion of Jesus or is it just any two like intersecting lines that look like a cross that you know repels a vampire like famously in the christopher lee dracula p 
Peter Cushing like grabs two candlesticks and put you know makes them do a cross and that works. And it's like is that is that enough? Does it have to be a cross that's made to be a Christian cross, or is it like anything that you just you 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 know throw two sticks together and it's a day? So it's kind of fun to have Goemon be like I this is what works. This is what stops vampires is you put garlic everywhere and you know any two like these are crosses are the uh jigen hands him but like at the end it's like so any two sticks like crossing each other is enough that'll do it sully the only (laughs) the only way to know for sure is that we go back in time and we see if crosses work on vampires prior to the crucifixion of jesus (laughs) and then we'll know well i mean doesn't the finale prove that because basically all going about does is he makes the cross with swords and it's not it's not like he's doing it out of a a Christian faith uh, version of it. He, so he just puts it together and that kills the vampire or stops it in its tracks. So I think that proves your theory, Sully. I remember, I forget it was a tweet or something that someone sent me. It's like, imagine that you're like a vampire like 2000 years ago. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, you can never understand like plus signs just are like drive you up the wall. <laughs> like you're just some vampire and like i don't know like like in japan and you have no idea what's going on and all of a sudden you just can't go near two cross sticks and you have no idea why oh, but I, what the fuck what, what i find hilarious about them using the um very eastern european thing of like um the crucifixes to ward vampires at least from the japanese perspective is because you know like they're clearly taking off from more western films western tropes of of the vampire mythos because if you really like i'm showing my goth here but if you really know like a lot of like the vampire mythologies and um a lot of these very because every country in the world has their own ideas of vampires and vampire myths let alone um specific creatures um that you know, live, live in the night and suck your blood for, for, um, for sustenance. Like the Philippines has the man, uh, Manananga. And for many years, the Philippines was not considered a Catholic nation until the Spanish uh, conquered it in the 16th century. And, um, you know, in Mexico, we have Chupacabras, but that's a completely different story. And some of the more like, um, older vampire mythos have always been like it's not necessarily just crucifixes anything that has anything that is indicative of a faith because these creatures are not of a faith they're monsters would easily repel um, vampires so if hmm. they had done a little bit more investigating a little bit more into the vampire mythos then Goemon could have clearly used iconography in the Shinto religion or anything that was you know in the form of blessings from a Shinto priest Um I, my Shintoism knowledge is very minimal, so all I'm thinking of is like those pieces of paper that Sailor Mars, because she herself is a Shinto priestess, have. Like that could have easily been, if we're going by the OG vampire mythos, that could have been used. But as I said, they're using the more Western, the more Western thing of two sticks put together, a cross. Um, not even even explaining does it have to be blessed because you know that I, I imagine if you you know you have something that's super blessed by catholic priests the vampire it's gonna ward a vampire so i think the cross hits a little bit close to home considering the specific vampire we're talking about yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's something i forget if i mentioned it on our podcast or if it was something else but it a lot of like our ideas of like vampire powers too are informed by like the original dracula novel because Mm -hmm. in the novel uh i forget i think it's van helsing 
mentions that Dracula might have been a student at Scalamance, which is in Eastern yeah. European mythology, like a school of witchcraft run by the devil. Yeah. So the idea of like transforming into a wolf and mist and, and hypnotism and all this is less, these are intrinsic to being vampire more that Dracula along with being the undead is also like a powerful wizard. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then that kind of gets transmuted through popular culture into, Oh, well, if you get bitten by a vampire, then you can turn into a bat and you can hypnotize people and you can do magic because that's part of being a vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess. And like you said, it's the same way it's, uh, the cross has just become an easy uh, vampires do not like crosses and garlic. Why? Well, th- there was a reason why. And over time we just kind of stopped caring as to why garlic it's, it's no longer, yeah. Oh, well, garlic, the scent and its association with like purity and holiness. And now it's like, well, I don't know why, what, you know, why do fools fall in love? Why do witches write bright brooms? We just kind of go with it. things <laughs> exactly. that we take for granted <laughs> over time why kfc at christmas you know <laughs> why why a tree good why the pearls why anything why, why, a tree good? <laughs> why all the hair um as an aside here i was reminded of you know when going on forms across i was reminded of a uh, a bit from like an 80s or 90s marvel comic where wolverine tries to use a cross against a vampire but because he's not a believer it doesn't work would it work if Nightcrawler did it? Yeah, it would totally hey. work if Nightcrawler yeah, totally, did it. Yeah, absolutely, totally. I think we need to point out that when Goemon makes the cross, it's less that the cross stops them and more that the lightning that strikes right. the cross and <laughs> yeah, exactly. is what kills them. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Are you sure that it's not because Wolverine is not a believer or that because he's Canadian? Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> it could be a little both. Good point. <laughs> well... Oh my god, but, you know, as someone who just got back from Montreal, you'd be surprised how many Catholics are in Montreal. I mean... I'm sure. Oh, Lord. Uh, I'm a dreamer, Montreal. Yeah, going back to uh, Zenigata being on the mountain, I think it's interesting how they translated the uh, joke about needing to scratch his butt, because that's in the sub as well. Yep. I thought that was interesting. I mean, think about... Think about what the worst possible thing to happen oh, to yeah, yeah. would be if you were in that situation. <laughs> right, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, <laughs> but in my notes here, I mentioned that Dan Lord J is still the best English than got. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, like, I don't get wrong, you know, Doug Airholtz is great, but uh, Lord J is, you know, by far my favorite. The fact that Lupin ducks Fujiko by coming through the window uninvited and the garlic should have been our first hint that he's faking it. Uh, with yeah. all the... Mm. With all the bat designs on the altar, it almost looks like a uh, Batman playset I would have asked for for Christmas when I was a kid. So it's another connection there. Um, as it's already said, Camilla's origin story is wild, and the subversion is, uh, you know, explicit about you know where she comes from. Mm-hmm. But the dub uh, very, very strongly hints at it. Jigen's ferryman disguise has a Peter Lorre voice. Which personally, I would have gone for Bella Lugosi or Sir Christopher Lee or even Vincent Price, but I think I feel like a Peter Laurie impressions was just in the water in the seventies or something because <laughs> I don't know, Sully, you could probably talk more about this than myself, but I feel like I've seen more Peter Laurie uh, gags in cartoons than I have actual appearances of the man <laughs> in film. I feel like. His, I mean, he was a foreigner. He was not. He was not a native English speaker. Um, I mean, same with with Bela Lugosi. I wonder if there was just like 
it seems like every voice actor or every like comic actor of the mid to late 20th century, like they had their Peter Laurie that they could do and they, when they could, they used it. Um, I, I don't know if we have like a similar, like, do we have a figure who they themselves are known as a horror actor, but not necessarily because Peter Laurie, I mean, he was in horror films. He was, he was, he's the killer in M famously, but like, I don't think of him, like when I think Bela Lugosi, I think Dracula. When I think yeah. Vincent Price, I think more like Peter Laurie. like, he's a horror actor, but I don't think he has like one single character that like right. defines him. Even if I have like favorites, I don't know if we have anyone like that anymore. I don't know if there's like Robert uh, England. Well, uh, but, but he's Freddie. Like he's, he's Freddie Freddy first and foremost. What about uh, Terrence Stamp? Like he shows up as usually like yeah. the creepy, like I'm doing something evil, maybe guy. <laughs> yeah, that's fair, but I don't know if he has the same sort of like. I don't. I don't know how I would do a Terrence Stamp impersonation, other than just, "Oh, I'm a creepy British man." It speaks slow in British. Yeah. There you go. I was in the haunted mansion, and that's the scariest thing of all. Let's see, I like the uh, line in the dub. Last time I prayed, it was for a two wheeler. That was cute. <laughs> yeah, it was. So. This episode, I first heard about it from a prominent member of the fandom who was comparing it to the manga version, who didn't like the uh, anime episode, saying it bordered on blasphemous, but this person did admit to finding Monkey Punch story to at least be funny. As someone who's not particularly spiritual, I'm not offended by the concept of the episode, but I can totally see why someone would be. That said, I didn't like the vampire Lupin story in the manga, as I already said. I think this this episode, it's like the manga version is weird. And it's also stupid. And I think to an extent so is this episode, but it does it a lot better. It handles the stupidity much better. I think it's a fun little adventure. You know, again, like I said, it's bizarre. And I find that the comedy works, you know, for the most part. Especially in the dub, which, as we've already said, is hilarious. I mean, I like this episode. Again, not one of the best of the series, but it's, it's solid. I enjoy it. I think what saves it from being blasphemous is is twofold. One, the concept is so off the wall that it kind of just, there, it, it, you can't really be offended by it because it is so so bonkers that it just sounds, like if someone were to come up to me and say, I have this idea for a story and they told me this, they'd be like, okay. Yeah, I mean, if you have a song in your heart, go forth. And I think also, because it is being made by a culture for whom this, this story does not hold the same gravitas as it does here, I feel like if someone in America or England or uh, an English speaking country or a country where Christianity is like the dominant cultural religious force, if they were to be like, oh yeah, Jesus had a vampire sister, they would be trying to say something with that. They would be like trying to make a broader point about like Christian theology and they would be trying to do like a satire or like attack it in some way. But this feels like someone heard the story of jesus and it's like there's a baby born in bethlehem in a manger and he becomes the savior of humankind and he's he is an aspect of god and they're like that sounds like a great place to start my vampire story (laughs) it's so it's so without any sort of guile that it can't it doesn't offend me at all because it's like well i the person who wrote this is not trying to it's it's so innocent about it. It's like, oh yeah, I heard this and I thought, you know what the story needs? A vampire sister. 
And plus, it's it's playing with the added context of knowing that this is kind of a a Japan. This is playing with like a Japan specific like urban legend thing that a lot of like if you didn't know that, then it would if it, it would feel it would feel so silly. But having known that, it feels like they're more so playing with that idea than they are trying to either attack or parody the Christian faith in any mm-hmm. way. It just feels very, it's, it feels very divorced from that, even though it does invoke it. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I can clearly see that none of y'all grew up in a strict Catholic family, and I will talk about how, um, I, I personally don't consider this episode blasphemous at all. I am very much not not an active member in the Catholic church anymore for personal reasons, but I still keep my faith, but I'll, I'll get into, I'll get into that aspect when I get to talk about this episode. So. (laughs) Well, speaking of which Natalie, how do you feel about this episode? I fucking love this episode. Let's just get that out there. I fucking love this episode. I am a goth kid. I am. I I love vampires. I love Lupin the third, this episode. And I, and I love stupid shit. Like, yes, Chris, the manga episode, the manga chapter is completely stupid. And even me as a kid who read it thought, really Dracula farts. Come on. Like, I mean, I love fart jokes as much as the next person, but even I was like, come on. (laughs) Jigen said the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, literally. I was literally like, really, really monkey punch. Really? That's your cleverest fucking idea. (laughs) It was a brilliant mind. Indeed. I mean, you know, you know, in the English version, Jean even says, farts, that's the best monkey punch can come up with. Monkey punch can come up with, yeah, the breaking of the fourth wall, yeah. No, but I do love this episode. However, let me take you back in time to the early 2000s and my upbringing. I mention on the show a lot that I'm half first generation and half um, third generation. My dad is an American. And while he grew up Catholic, he was never that faithful. I used to joke that like, oh, yeah, my dad's an atheist, even though he had his moments. But my mom is from Mexico. Mexico, I believe currently right now, Mexico is like behind Italy. Well, it's like Italy, Mexico and the Philippines are the three biggest Catholic nations in the world. And my mom coming from rural Mexico is very much Catholic. And I always had to tread waters growing up um, with a lot of the stuff I watched because my parents didn't care at times. But if they did find out I was watching something and they didn't like it or listening to something and they didn't like it, um, there there were conniptions. Like I couldn't go to Rammstein as a teenager because both of my parents looked at music videos and were like, yeah, you're not going to that. But I just remember watching, do, yeah. Du hast. Du hast mich, yes. <laughs> I learned German thanks to Rammstein. Uh, that's how I passed my college my college language creds. Anyways, but um, I just remember as a kid buying the DVD episodes because these were one of the episodes that was not featured on Adult Swim. Um, they stopped at like, um, I believe, The Little Princess of Darkness or maybe the one after. And no, then it was Little Princess of Darkness because the preview for the next episode was Revenge of La Nerd. Which I did not see until several years yeah. after. Uh, yeah. Yeah. On Adult Swim, they stopped at that episode, and then you had to buy the Pioneer um, Pioneer release DVDs, which I did. And I just remember watching this. And my parents have watched Lupin with me. My dad loves it. My mom, Goemon's her favorite. But I'm so glad because even kid Natalie knew I could never show this episode to my mother in terms of the context of like Jesus having a vampire sister and you know he didn't really die he just went to Japan and became a garlic farmer like as as innocent as that all is 
you, y'all never grew up in a Catholic family, a, a semi-strict Catholic family, and it shows. Like, I'm just trauma bonding here. But this is the one episode I can never show my mom. However, that doesn't mean I never enjoyed it. I fucking loved it. Um, as I got older and really got, really, as a, as a goth kid that I am, really got into vampire stories and vampire folklore. Like, when I discovered uh, Sheridan Lefanu's Carmilla, I was like, oh, like, you know, Carmilla, like, Jesus' twin vampire sister. And my friends in our <laughs> goth club in high school were like, what? And I'm like, oh, it's it's a Lupin thing. Uh, I'll shut up now. But, um, like, I knew that reference. Um, the dub is balls to the walls funny. Um, I grew up in Oakland, so to hear Jigen say stuff like coochie was was making me laugh very, very hard, at least in the connotation of how he talked about Carmilla. Um, the other dub line that made me giggle, but also as a huge opera nerd, I'm kind of like, oh, no, how dare you insult my boy Pavarotti? <laughs> saying that, like, the whole house of garlic smells like Pavarotti's armpits. And it's like, no, no, my boy, stop it. He's He's been dead since 2008. How dare you? Is <laughs> um, that supposed to be just like a dig at Italians? I I feel like it's a dig at Italians because like the most famous Italian, at least in the early two thousands, was was Pavarotti and Andrea Bocelli. But I guess because mm. he's blind, you don't want to make digs at the blind tenor. <laughs> sure, <laughs> going sure. on sure. racist against Italians is uh, clearly <laughs> as also being Jigen part- is so problematic. <laughs> Um, uh, I have this headcanon that maybe far down the line, Jigen has some Sicilian ancestry, but that's just a stupid headcanon of mine. But no, I love this episode. I love the the little digs. I knew about that Hiburai village thing because um, the interesting thing about like Japan in terms of Christianity, only like 5% of people are Christians. And it was a very, it was very much a thing of like, um, you know, Christian missionaries um, that not mostly from, you know, from the Netherlands, the, D- the Dutch um, providences have had come to like Japan and started to spread the religion, but it didn't gain much foothold thanks to the Sakoku period. So that's why you have like the evolution of those conspiracy theories. Um, I'm definitely going to use this as a moment to plug Scorsese's Silence, mm-hmm. fantastic mm. film about that period of history. Yeah, really, really good movie. Oh, I love it. I love Scorsese. Um, so yeah, um, I, I always tell people, at least when I talk about that period in Japan, it's like. Scorsese made a film about it. Just go and watch it. Um, but no, um, I'm trying to think. There was also some other like vampiric things I wanted to talk about. Um, but in terms of like this whole thing of like uh, what could be considered blasphemous or not, I mean, what I find interesting in terms of like oh the possibility that Mary had two babies and one of them being a vampire, um, there is a lot of. I don't want to say it's conspiracy because it's just like alternate stories, at least within um, um, Christian Catholic circles of like the birth of the Antichrist. And then there was also a conspiracy theory of like Mary possibly kind of like the, um, the Lilith story where like um, Eve was not the first wife of Adam. It was actually Lilith and Lilith was like the mother of, um, of like the mythic of like, um, primordial vampires sort of thing. Um, There is that cult around, maybe possibly Mary giving birth to the Antichrist and that we're not necessarily waiting for an Antichrist right now. But again, I don't remember much of it. I just remember putting it in my notes like, oh yeah, I forgot about that story. Should have done more research on it, but that's just what I heard amongst the spheres of the grapevines that I found interesting. That and I watch way too much American Horror Story, so don't quote me on that. Um, There's a lot of uh, 
Christian, and I use that as a very, 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 very broad term, uh, apocrypha out mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, um, it's a funny episode. Um, the differences between the dub and the sub are obviously vastly, you know, ooh, vastly different. Um, also, I love the drunk doctor. Her pulse is fine. Her complexion sure looks like crap, though. You, you, you are a real doctor. Yeah, the drunkter. You, you are a real doctor. Oh, she's got a couple of things of her neck. A couple of things. Yeah, hickeys, maybe. <laughs> Honestly, if she was supposed to be Jesus's sister, who was a first-century Middle Eastern Jew, her complexion, her complexion would actually look yeah. really bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, vampires—they all gotta—they all gotta look super, super light. I guess so. But yeah, no. Um, I don't have anything else to say. It's a fun episode, aside from the fact that I can't show it to my mom. Um, <laughs> it's it, it is a fun episode. I love it. I guess it's a, it's in the same connotation in the same um, the same sphere of um, what friend of the podcast um, Lucy said that the series has potential for horror after Darwin's Bird, and it's like mm. you know there was a lot of horror elements in it, just sillier ones, and it, and, it, and it started with this, and I for one am glad. So yeah, I I love this episode. That's all I have to say about it. (laughs) Hell yeah. Well, um, I have to dip out now. I will let uh, Austin and Bill handle uh, all of the plugs and everything and let you guys get back to the Lupin discussion. Thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you. you. Merry Christmas. See you later. And happy holidays. Yes, happy holidays, everybody. Remember to have a Patrick Swayze Christmas this year. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. Emma, how do you feel about this episode? (laughs) This is actually one of my favorite part two episodes. (laughs) If I'm being honest. Just because it's so crazy. And I've mentioned before, if we're talking like spirituality and stuff, I was not raised... Uh, in a religious household. Uh, my parents were not explicitly atheists. My mom is like more agnostic, but I also grew up in the Bible Belt. So I kind of had to hide that about myself. And I didn't really come out about being an atheist until I was like 16. So it's always funny to me to experience episodes like this. And like, because like my knowledge of religion spirituality is strong enough to know it's like oh this could definitely be seen as blasphemous but also it's so absurd to me or it's like how (laughs) um and i know we talked about it previously and one thing that keeps coming up to my mind um the more we talk about this episode is um jigen and his his fear of I love the paranormal and also just his superstitious uh, beliefs. And yeah, you definitely see that in like the later parts, um, but it, it becomes strong in part two. And I think it was Austin that mentioned how he's really the most practical one in this episode, which like when you think about it, it's like men hoarding garlic, which in the scheme of things probably is practical, but like with the situation at hand, it is practical. But it's also like funny to me because he automatically just like locks himself down. He's just like, fuck this. I'm not dealing with this. But and you also kind of see that 
too, and I've mentioned it before when, like, with uh, Darwin's bird, he's the first one that's like, peace out, like, I am not dealing with this. Uh, and I respect that from him because, you know what, they dig out this this woman and they, like, open the casket and they, like, deterrent, like, she's alive. And my first thought would be, like, well, we're putting her back. <laughs> Let the lady rest. <laughs> Cause I'm not dealing with that. Like that's like you know all the like stories of people going into like pharaoh tombs, the pyramids and stuff, and there's some like crazy shit going on. You see it in like Pet Cemetery, uh, by Stephen King. So like as soon as they bring this woman up and they see like that she's still like alive so to speak, and she's holding, like, a statue of the Virgin Mary, I'd be like, no, we're putting her back. Uh, <laughs> put, that, put that thing back where it came from, or so help me. <laughs> so help me. <laughs> so, Jigen in that way is definitely, like, you know what? I'm with you. I would also stock up on so much garlic, where it smells just so pungent. And, you know, I also trust him to have enough garlic if he, like, making a recipe for something and, like, a recipe is, like, a clove of garlic. I'm like, no, I'm going to Jigen because he knows what's up. Because <laughs> he has millions, apparently, just hanging around and he knows what to do. He's into the lore. And I, I, like, I like that part of him, I think. And I'm glad that they've kept that character aspect because it's so funny to me to see such like a calm cool-headed uh sharpshooter like being like we need to get the cross (laughs) 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 and that somehow be the most practical of the responses that we see yeah you know (laughs) it, it was a long time before i watched the sum of this uh, because the dub is just so well, it's so easy to turn on for one, and it's just we've mentioned it a few times. This is like the episode that I find is in the most Lupin out of complex out of context compilations. Mm-hmm. It's this one and the fucking one where Lex Lang is acting as Christopher Walken. Uh, those are like the two that I see the most because while there are like a lot of lines that are similar, like uh, like my butt itches, Jigen saying that Coochie is a blood sucking bitch, just what a like line. a really solid line. <laughs> that, that was part of a reason where I was like, man, I don't even feel like I have to like really rewatch this episode in like like a day before, like I normally do because I've seen this episode so much. That's just, like, burned into my brain. Everything about it. And yet, like, the, the whole dance scene and going on and Jigen are in costumes. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. I love it. Um, everything about it is just absurd. And to me, it, it's really, truly uh, what Lupin is all about. Um, and, like, Jesus and just absurdity. Both of Amen. those things together. So that's really all I have on this because I've lost most of my train of thought. Uh, <laughs> it's been a night. What about you? <laughs> Honestly, I'm, I'm just 
a lot of the things I've already mentioned earlier, like the Elvis song and all that, I've already covered some of my notes already throughout the general discussion. And I'm pretty much just going to echo you. I This is not like one of my top favorite episodes necessarily, but it's one of my favorite examples of just how absolutely unhinged this like series can get. Uh, it's like Sully was mentioning earlier about how like you have like, you know, a real tight kind of like chamber mystery. You can have episodes like the targets 555 meters away where it's like a tight high story that's like really engaging or some like wacky villain. And then there's this, which is hard to categorize. <laughs> You've got episodes like this. There's a monkey king business, you know, with the, the two giants. There's Lupin's gourmet world in which like. That's a hard one to explain. Also, there is a 1999, a popcorn odyssey in which the gang helps make a rocket out of popcorn. I think that one needs to be my next episode. <laughs> you, It's a masterpiece. Can't wait. It, I love, it I love is, that episode. I'm not sure what it is, but it definitely is whatever it is. A shining example it, of it. It culminates in the gang in a doom buggy with a popcorn cannon attacking a facility and then riding a tidal wave of popcorn in a little like boat. It's 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 a masterpiece. Like when I first got into the series, um, uh, there was always like this general, I guess, consensus with the older fandom that part three was like the definitive, like definitively like the weirdest, the wackiest, the most out there. Lupin, it's like the weird one that's like, yeah, that one's like, that one's strange. Like, motherfucker, did you forget part two? <laughs> and did you forget this episode specifically? And I know I mentioned that on Twitter and uh, Tabby Wolf responded saying like, you know, there's also an episode where they summon aliens using Stonehenge in part two. So I, I honestly, like part three has a very loose wacky animation style and like it has some goofy plots like some really out there plots but i don't think it's anywhere i don't think it's any more outlandish than uh vent uh, jesus's vampire twin sister who has been plotting revenge for the last two thousand years buried herself with the statue of mary that she kind of insinuates that she lured jesus out to japan with and then he died while trying to find her and she's found a castle with a bunch of other vampires who've laid dormant for, as she says, centuries. And then when these vampires are awakened with classical music played over the piano, they emerge in like tuxedos and ball gowns. These centuries old vampires I'm like, wait, how many centuries are we talking about, by the way? Approximately one. Yes. They, were, they were ready for that party. They were already they, were. They, they, they had their stylist ready to go before they got the Calcum. They were ready. So what they failed to mention is that every every fifty years or so they wake up and then dress in the latest fashion and then go back to sleep. <laughs> but but then how does that explain Carmilla being Camilla, Carmilla, whatever, just being buried for two thousand fucking years? <laughs> I love Austin, I, I love that take. So like imagine like there's like one vampire who like missed the memo and only changed once and like wakes up in a toga. It's like, God fucking damn it. <laughs> it's a like, little behind. Guys. The 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 two thousand years doesn't even make sense because this is what, nineteen seventy eight? You know, that's two thousand years ago, that would have been prior to the birth of Christ. So but let's not get they into were, that. They were just rounding it. They were just rounding sure it. Sure they were. It's like 
Yeah, it's the seventies. Thirty more years, it'll be two thousand years. We gave you a guesstimate. <laughs> this whole episode is uh, is fueled by Lupin logic. Yeah, it's false to, to the wall. Lupin physics also applies to time and space, but we already knew that, right? Indeed, it's a, it's a well accepted fact. But no, I, again, this episode, on top of all of the stuff I just mentioned, Fujiko shows up dressed as Elvis with like, there is an explanation, like culturally, I guess you know, but still, it's still very thin that Fujiko shows up in a location singing a song that's specific to that location and then doesn't explain why she's doing that. And this immediately launches into exposition when she's found out. And then shortly after that, which is back to my point of where why I think Fujiko is the least valuable player. She doesn't really contribute anything to the story other than just getting kidnapped and being like a reason for yeah. them to go rescue her, um, which is yeah. unfortunately like yeah. one of my least favorite things that they do with Fujiko. But I know they do that often. Because mm-hmm. Again, this episode is insane, does not really work as a coherent story at all, because like once you break it down, like it's it's insane and the escalation gets insane. But like. I don't know. There's something special about Lupin episodes like this, where it doesn't matter that this thing makes no goddamn sense at all. You just you just roll with it. And that's it's kind of like, like Sully mentioned earlier. It's it's a mode of Lupin that's very special. And I love it. And we don't get it a whole lot anymore. A lot of like and again, I like a lot of modern Lupin. A lot of modern Lupin is like it's these arcs. They're all very consistent. Nothing gets super out there at all. Like there's crazy stuff that happens, but there, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no vampiric twin sisters of Jesus who uh, die in the last like what minute of the episode, <laughs> just because like everyone went, oh shit, there were times running out. Uh, going on cross, and then make it again. Admittedly, the most badass thing you've ever seen. It happens so fast. <laughs> I think it's interesting you say that about the running time because. I once read an interview with Monkey Punch where he said that that was that was oftentimes his approach was to uh, like he'd be drawing a story and he realizes he has like three pages left. He's like, well, I guess everybody's going to start running. <laughs> it's kind of like the Muppet show approach. It's just like end every <laughs> sketch with like a Muppet getting hurt or exploding uh, and just get it over with, you know, <laughs> always got that one thing to fall back on. Uh, but yeah, that pretty much sums up my thoughts. This episode is very unruly, and uh, I, I love it for that, both both just as a concept and with its dub, and it's perfect way to ring in the uh, the holiday season, celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and Camilla. <laughs> uh, I should I should like get a portrait of a. Uh, like, you know, just... Uh, the two of them, like the babies. <laughs> Joseph, Mary, and two babies. Yeah, just like, ca- like casually just like sliding in there. See if anybody Just a little it. picture. Like, yeah. not, nothing too huge. <laughs> or, hey, here's an idea. The Last Supper, but with uh, Camilla in the middle and uh, all the uh, vampires as well as Lupin and the gang surrounding her. Well, um, for... For a while, I pulled a prank on my mom. She has a portrait of the Last Supper in her um, kitchen, and f- um, one time I had um, I had a lot of fun, and I printed out 
um, the Last Supper clip for part four and framed it, put it in her kitchen. And I kid you not, for three weeks, she did not notice that it wasn't her original Last Supper pick until she looked, we were having dinner, she looked at it and was like, what the hell is this Lupin shit on my ta- on my dining room? And I'm like, oh, it took you long enough. I guess it's the uh, Lupin fans version of replacing the portrait of Jesus with uh, Obi-Wan from Attack of the Clones. Obi, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so in regards to the Christmas season, because um, growing up, we didn't really do Christmas trees. We always had nativity scenes, at least, because, you know, reason for the season. Uh, I have my Fisher-Price baby's first nativity Aww. scene on my table because um, I'm cheap, but also... In regards to Noche Buena, we don't release baby Jesus until like the 24th. So now I'm going to have to get another baby Jesus figure <laughs> to account for Camilla. Mm. My mom looks at it like, why are there two baby Jesuses? <laughs> so, mom. <laughs> <laughs> so, in conclusion, all of us, uh, I reckon, really enjoyed this uh, absolutely buck wild episode. And, uh, think we all recommend this is a good way to get in the holiday spirit this year so gather your whole family around and uh show them this episode when you have your next big christmas dinner see how that goes down if you've never seen lupon the third this is a great place to start <laughs> throw him right we should put this in our starters kit you know i was gonna say austin i agree with most of those words this is definitely a place to start i i had i actually had considered it but i was like mm, no 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 bill why didn't you show me this instead of uh fujiko mine <laughs> you know just the world's full of mysteries austin we, i we guess just so. never know we just never know mm. so on that note i want to give a huge thank you to uh austin bill and uh sully who had to dip out uh, thank you for joining us for this holiday special discussing this wild nonsense. It was an honor to have you on the show. Honestly, I'm a, a huge, huge fan of what y'all do over at Third Impact. And it is awesome just to be here with you. Well, that means a lot to hear, Drew. And uh, we really appreciate you guys letting us be a part of your Christmas special. And we'd be happy to come back anytime. It was, it yeah. was really fun. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I don't. Please forgive me if you've already done it, but if you ever do the Detective Conan crossovers, I have to join you for that because I am a huge Detective Conan fan. High five, Detective Conan fans! Woohoo! There's there's three of us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, also our co-host in Switzerland, uh, Guillaume, he's a huge Detective Conan fan. So mm, nice, <laughs> but yeah, whenever you guys do those specials. Please let me know. I'll I'll come running because I oh, any absolutely. chance I get to talk about Conan, I'll 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 be here in a in a heartbeat. Translator's note: Bill doesn't like those specials, so he's excited to get on there and good. rant. Good, because good, good. We'll help. I hate. Them. <laughs> no, no, I I I hate I hate them, but I I, I have, I'll take any excuse to talk about Conan, even Hell if it's yeah. bad. So that that'll be the fun part of that episode. Because we'll just talk about the good Conan we like and just barely mention the special. (laughs) The movie's okay. (laughs) Yeah, the movie's okay. The special's awful. Yeah. That special's so bad. Yes. It's it's engaging for the eyelids. It's it's pretty, the special is pretty atrocious. So, Austin and Bill, where can we find you and Third Impact on the social medias? 
Well, the easiest way to find me is probably over on Blue Sky. I've uh, I haven't deleted my Twitter; it's still around, but I just don't log in or use it at all anymore. I will still occasionally uh, post updates on the Third Impact Anime Twitter, which you can find at ti underscore anime. Um, but we're mostly active on Blue Sky at Third Impact Anime and Instagram, which is also at Third Impact Anime. Um, but if you forget all of that, just head on over to our website, thirdimpactanime.com, where you can find uh, the episode where we had Drew and Emma on last year talking about Goodbye Partner and also a catalog of all of our previous episodes. Um, and if you want to hang out with us on a more regular basis and uh, talk anime, video games, Lupin the Third, Evangelion, whatever you want to chat about, uh, you can join us over in the Discord, uh, which you can find an invite for on our website as well. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. And, uh, as for me, I'm still technically on Twitter. I'm also on Blue Sky, but I, I don't think I'm that interesting on Blue Sky or Twitter. So just follow me on Letterboxd for Goodreads, where you can see me spam about movies and my books and probably too many comics. Uh, I'm on there at, uh, WBForeman39 as per usual. And I'm usually also Mr. Newsman in the discord in the third impact discord, usually posting about new stuff when it comes to movies or games and whatnot. So you can find me there as well. People him and they haw about Twitter, this X, that Instagram threads, Mastodon, blue sky, whatever. But we all know at the end of the day, the best social media platform is letterboxd. It's true. I was going to say good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Letterbox is it's the good not. reads for film. It yeah, is. yeah, it, it's yeah. it's not, but <laughs> I still say it's great. So, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, you, you can follow me on Goodreads and Letterbox at WB Foreman three nine. Heck yeah, Chris, where can we find you on the social medias? You can find me on Instagram and Newgrounds at Amazing Chris Godby, G O D B E Y. My website is theamazingchrisgodby.com. My personal Twitter is at drfurball. My art Twitter is amazing Chris G. My Mr. Blue Sky is amazing Chris Godby.bsky.social. My web comics can be found at weirdinacan.com and drawocoward.com. I'm also an occasional contributor to luponcentral.com. Very nice, very nice. Natalie, where can we find you? You can find me at Twitter at C-A-P-L-I-H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G, Kaplee Helsing. Um, you can find me where I'm more active on Instagram at Captain, spelled out, C-A-P-T-A-I-N-L-I-H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G. Same with Blue Sky, though I barely touch it. And I guess also TikTok, which I barely touch either. Um, but I, I guess I will start after the holiday season and I finally get to posting my stuff that I've been working on. And I guess, Emma, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at uh, EmmaWolf227, E-M-M-A-W-O-L-F-E-227. You can find me on Instagram at E-M-W-O-L-F-E-227. Blue Sky at EmmaWolf227.bsky.social. And I guess you can find me on Goodreads. I forget what my name is. But, I mean, you probably don't want to follow me on there because I just, like, post... Apparently, some very scathing reviews is what some of my friends have told me. No, they're enter- they're entertaining. It's better than my nonstop comic <laughs> posting. So I appreciate it. You've given me a lot of ideas of stuff to read. So, which 
uh, I keep like trying to make dents in that. And every single time I like finish a book from that, I add five. The backlog <laughs> never ends. No, it doesn't. Oh, I should have Goodreads. <laughs> so those are my social medias. And Drew, where can we find you and this podcast? So you can find me on both Twitter and Blue Sky at Drew Hunter 15. That's D R E W H U N T E R 15. And uh, I'll also take a page out of Bill's handbook here. And you can also find me on Letterboxd at uh, Drew Hunter. Uh, mostly, I, I review occasionally, mostly to see what I watch and judge my taste in film. Be as harsh as you want to because, boy. <laughs> I post some takes sometimes, not too often though. I'm 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 not a very hot take person on Letterboxd until I am. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sort of threat. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, you can also find our podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, and Coffee at Lupin Pod. That's L U P I N P O D. And on our coffee page, uh, donations are not expected or required, but greatly appreciated. It goes they are to, now. Uh, I've declared it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't make the rules. Austin has declared it. You have to donate now. So uh, it is written or spoken. It is known. And uh, you can follow us on Tumblr at Sideburns and Cigarettes. You can listen to our show on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Podbean. And if you'd like to find all of these social social medias in one convenient place, check out our Beacons page at beacons.ai slash LuponPod. And I'd like to give a special thanks to our Lupon carolers that you heard in the opening skit, uh, Guillaume, Becca, and Scudis. Thank you very much for providing your wonderful voices, even though you ended up with a uh, terrible fate. We appreciate it. <laughs> From both our podcast families here at Sideburns and Cigarettes and Third Impact Anime, just say happy holidays, Lupontic folks. Happy holidays, Feliz Navidad, Bon Natal. Bye. Hikaru Matendo Sekaiju Okina Christmas tree Menga So many girlfriends,
Here's a copy of Monkatsu you were looking for. I, I, I was looking for Lupin Shanzi. Oh.